Whoever was the first to say, "'Tis better to give than to receive," obviously never was up for an Oscar. Now nah, they're wonderful. They all have their Oscars. But are they happy? Hello, and welcome back to the Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movies of the most Oscar noms in no ones whatsoever. I'm your host, Jamie Vincent, here, happy to talk to you about my favorite Toy Story spinoff today. Okay. I'm Sarah. That's it. You guys don't know. I don't have a joke. I know Lenny. Lenny's the. Okay. <laughs> the silence of anything, you got it. Okay. Go no, ahead. I know who Lenny is. Okay, good. Okay. I did the binocular for the viewers at home, listeners at home. <laughs> I did the binoculars. I uh, I did not know who Lenny was, so uh, I feel I feel invalid and ashamed, <laughs> and I will rectify that once we get off this call. I'm Caleb, by the way. Well, forward to our countdown, I just gotta say, I just opened up the Academy Award page. I noticed that Madeline Kahn was nominated for Supporting Actress this year. That's fun. Anyway, the 47th Academy Oh, sorry. Madeline Kahn was nominated for Blazing Saddles. I think that I should clarify what the movie was for. Just Madeline Kahn being nominated isn't interesting. Anyway, 11 nominations this year. The movie called The Godfather Part 2. It won six. Won Best Picture, Best Director for Francis Ford Coppola, Best Supporting Actor for Robert De Niro, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score for Nino Rota and Carmine Coppola, and Best Art Direction. Another film got 11 nominations called Chinatown. It only won original screenplay, which did not go to the person Sarah's wincing about, so we can all be happy for Robert Town. I'm not, no, there's still, it's got Jack Nicholson in it too. But Robert Town is, I, I shouldn't say, I don't know who Robert Town really is. <laughs> he but. could be just as bad. The debate nominations was The Towering Inferno, which, before I list what it won, I was shocked to see it got nominated for Best Actor. But not because of being nominated. I didn't know Fred Astaire was the lead of The Towering Inferno. Because isn't this like a disaster movie? And I was like, cool, Fred Astaire. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it won three. It won Best Original Song, which I don't believe is sung by Fred Astaire. But the song is called We May Never Love Like This. It also won Best Cinematography and Best Film Editing. Um, then, with six nominations, was a movie that just had a sequel come out. That is Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the original, obviously. Uh, well, the I don't know. I, maybe there was an earlier one. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. If it was a, but anyway, the the one that came out in the seventies. Uh, it won Best Supporting Actress for Ingrid Bergman. Then there was another film with six nominations and no wins, and that is Lenny. Sarah, what was Lenny nominated for? Um, Lenny was nominated for Best Picture and lost to The Godfather Part Two. Best director for Bob Fosse, who lost to Francis Ford Coppola for The Godfather Part Two. Very cursed year for best director. Uh, Fosse was nominated twice for All That Jazz and one for Cabaret in 1973. Best actor for so This was Hoffman. a rematch. Sorry, I was on the point. This was a rematch between Coppola and The Godfathers for that. Anyway, sorry. Uh, best actor for Dustin Hoffman, who lost to Art Carney for Harry and Tonto. Uh, Dustin Hoffman has been nominated four more times and won two. Okay, Best Actress for Valerie Perrine. Uh, she lost to Ellen Burstyn for Alice doesn't live here anymore. Best Adapted Screenplay for Julian Barry, who lost to Francis Ford Coppola 
and Mario Puzo for The Godfather Part 2. And Best Cinematography were Bruce Surtees, who lost to Joseph Barak and Fred J. Conecamp for Towering Inferno. All right, so this was the final Oscars broadcast by NBC. It was hosted by Bob Hope, Curly McLean, Sammy Davis Jr., and Frank Sinatra. The Godfather Part Two. Uh, this is considered the most interesting stat about the Oscars. Uh, it got twice the number of Oscars as the original, and this is the last film to ever receive three nominations in a single acting category, which was Best Supporting Actor, which, of course, the first movie also pulled off three nominations in there. Uh, between, oh, this isn't that exciting. It's like, between the two of them, father and son, Carmine and Francis Ford Coppola won four awards, but Carmine Coppola only won original score, so I don't know why we're counting him. Who cares? Just say Coppola won three. Um, Ford, obviously, Francis Ford. Uh, this is actually an interesting stat. This is the only Oscars ever where there's one category where all five films that were nominated were released by the same studio. And that was Best Costume Design, where, of course, uh, costume design, uh, The Great Gatsby, Chinatown, Daisy Miller, The Godfather Part Two, and Murder on the Orient Express were all released by Paramount Pictures. Uh, yeah, that was this year's Oscars. Lenny. It's a film about Lenny Bruce, who is a stand-up comedian, probably known best for getting like arrested all the time for obscenities. But also his court cases kind of set precedent for First Amendment issues as it relates to stand-up comedy. So kind of an important figure in the world of uh stand-up comedy, and that's what the movie's about. Now what'd y'all think of Lenny? Um my thought on Lenny is, um, well, first, I'm the only person here who's seen All That Jazz. And All That Jazz is partially about the, edit, the post-production of Lenny when Bob Fosse had a heart attack during the post-production of it. Uh, and when I saw All That Jazz at the Music Box last year, they played a 35mm trailer for Lenny in front of it. And I had the same thought watching that trailer before All That Jazz that I did watching the film, which is, it feels... <laughs> Well, first, I'll be a little more positive. I do think it's entertaining. I think Fosse and very specifically his collaboration with Haim makes no matter. I, mean, I haven't seen Cabaret, but this is my second Fosse film. And I think all that jazz and Lenny both have this energy that makes me impossible to like really not enjoy on a flashy level. Kind of like how, sorry, I like Babylon. I like First Man. I think Jamie Chazelle entertains me on like a ground floor level. That's what I get from Fosse. And his uh, his editor, Alan Heim. But all that said, I got this vibe from the trailer and I got this vibe watching it is that it feels this feels like a parody to me of a lot of and not intentionally so, but it just feels like a parody of like the great man biopic where it's like, you can't arrest me. I'm you, these jokes are important. What are you doing? <laughs> and that was just the vibe I kept getting from the movie. It was like, this just feels like and again, I've seen all that jazz where it literally is like a fake movie in the background of a movie. But it feels like a lot of time you're watching this, it's just like, oh my god, I really like you can't tell like like there's a scene in this movie, and we'll talk about this. But there's a lot of scenes in this movie where just something will happen, and like characters in the movie will applaud Lenny Bruce for doing it, and I'll be like, okay, he didn't do much. Like it's very self congratulatory. I I don't know. I still kind of like it. The performances are good. Uh, but and I also can see what drew Fosse to the material 
It's a very like, I'm important, but I loathe myself type of thing, which is kind of who Bob Fozzie was. <laughs> so, but I don't, it, it's fine. It's good. I, I, I enjoy it because it's designed to be entertaining, but I don't think there's any real thing to get out of it. I feel like this movie just about bored me to tears. Uh, the entire like last 30 minutes, I just, it was very difficult to get through. I, this is probably my most controversial thing that I have said so far on this podcast, but as far as canceled actors go, I really like Dustin Hoffman. I'm sorry to this day. I still do. Uh, I didn't like him in this. I thought he was, well, I, he, he's, he felt like Dustin Hoffman to me. The Dustin Hoffman that I don't want to know about. I don't know. I just, I get it. I understand it. I just feel like on a personal level, biopics like this do nothing for me because can I, okay, I'm getting into a deeper discussion here, but to date this episode a little bit, this reminds me of a current event that's been happening. (laughs) I don't know if you are following along with this whole Russell Brand situation, but Russell Brand is like very right wing now. And he got exposed for being what everybody knew that he was. And, and people now are like, they're trying to silence him because he's, he's the only one who's speaking the truth. And I feel like it's very similar to this movie because I feel like people at the time, people nowadays are still like, People, they tried to kill him. They killed him because he was he was speaking up. And I just, that was in the back of my mind the whole time. And I I don't know, maybe someday there'll be a Russell Brand movie. We'll see. Before, wait, wait, wait. Can I just make, explain why it was giggling into the mic? It's because I just made the connections like, ah, Russell Brand, star of the sequel to the film that went supporting actress this year. Devil on the Nile. <laughs> Sorry, go oh, on. Oh, he's in that? Yeah, he's like, oh, remember yeah. that, that movie, movie is the most cursed so cast cursed. of all time. <laughs> Linny is, I, I, you can see good filmmaking on display. The editing's really energetic. I do think it starts to drop off in the last third. I, but I like, I like the first act. I like the framing device with all these interviews with these people in a, in Fosse's life, not a unique framing device, but I think a well-used one. But man, there just really isn't a lot of meat on the bone here. And I think that you're right, Danny. It is very much a says something important in giant quotation marks. And then to steal an old meme from Tumblr, everybody clapped. I also have a thing with comedians. I stand up is a stand up is an art form and it should be taken seriously. And you can say important things through it. That being said, gosh darn it, stand-up comedians need to come off their crosses because every single one of them feels like they're speaking truth to power. And Lenny Bruce may have been the only one who actually did because he actually got arrested for it. But like Dave Chappelle or Joe Rogan or Russell Brand, they might not like people might not like them, but they aren't getting arrested. And so like I think I also had a similar thing where I was rolling my eyes occasionally. Although I, once again, I, I am very aware that Lenny Bruce was actively actually gained silenced by the law. So not a direct comparison. Um, but I do think you see kind of that 70s counterculture push against the man 
And I think that's unappealing if there isn't a good understanding of who the man is. I, I want to... Something you said just reminded me, because when Sarah was giving, which is a very fair comparison to Russell Brand, the person I kind of thought, the person you would make the biopic about is about how Hassan Minaj is going to lose The Daily Show from spreading <laughs> you know that whole story right yeah so well for uh, for context he's gonna be silenced he he's his stand-up material was not in fact real material it was not stolen it was just it was fiction well the reason i, I that popped in my head is because you're talking about how like this is a lot of like that stand-up thing now which is very different than what it is for lenny where it's like you're telling these comedic stories to get applause and obviously it's very different when you're like I am a persecuted white man like Lenny is and, you know, Hassan Minaj, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, anyway, uh, Lenny. He's a, he's a comedian. He is. By Dustin Hoffman. He is. Uh, let's start off with, I think, the most important thing if you're going to try to tackle stand-up comedy. Did y'all find this funny? <laughs> no. No, it's not funny. Uh, I mean, it is. It's funny. There was one moment I laughed. And I kind of alluded to it earlier. I was like, I will let everyone give their piece before we talk about this scene. Because I feel like it's going to come up soon. as we're with the band-aid out. There's a scene where Dustin Hoffman or, and Lenny, you know, walks around the stage saying the N-word repeatedly over and over again. And at the very end, he goes, you know, if we just called each other, if you guys call each other the N-word, maybe everything would be okay. And everyone just stands up and applauds. And that's the one time I laughed. It's <laughs> not... I- <laughs> It's not just the N-word. There are a lot of other slurs, especially some homophobic slurs, but the N-word is probably the one he says the most. Yeah, I... but it's like, like the camera cuts to, the, it cuts to all the black people in the audience, all looking annoyed, but then they all applaud him at the end. It's like, what are you talking about? No way did this happen. No. I just feel like I'm, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was watching the movie, how I was going to phrase this. I feel like Obviously, Lenny Bruce was in a different category because he was, you know, arrested and et cetera. Um, I feel like comedians now, specific ones, there are good comedians out there, but specific ones will, I feel like they have themselves on this pedestal where they're like, you know, we can't say anything anymore. Why can't, why can't I call myself a turf? Why can't I say the N word? Why can't I show women my dick? Like stuff like that. That one, that last one, maybe not. But but is this? No, no, no. Actually, no. I think I have heard that one. So go ahead. Don't apologize. I I think actually he did say that. Um, But it is this idea that they can't say anything anymore, and they'll be canceled, and they'll be persecuted. Which have any? Has Louis C.K. been canceled? Has Dave Chappelle been canceled? And Dave Chappelle will go on that stage, and he will cry and say oh they tried to get me they tried to get kevin hart they took it away from him um (laughs) they just took it it's not fair (laughs) and the thing is is that like they are saying the same things that lenny bruce said back then they're saying the same things but people don't have to like it like Lenny Bruce can be in that room and people can applaud. Like that's fine if people agree with the sentiment. But if there's even one person in that room that doesn't like it, then they're entitled to that feeling. That doesn't mean that he's correct. And it's just like 
this whole thing with Dave Chappelle, I'm sorry, I'm but this whole thing with Dave Chappelle is like, it's like, yeah, he's just speaking the truth. He's just saying what people want to hear. And it's like, he's using slurs and threatening to murder people. It's like he's allowed to say it. That doesn't mean people have to like it. Just because people don't like it doesn't mean he's canceled. And I think, I think there are two, there's a similar thread here with Chappelle where, uh, yeah, I was a, I was a fan of Chappelle. I watched all his stand up up until a certain point. And it's one of those things where it's, it's not just that he was getting super transphobic. It's that that was becoming his entire set and he just wasn't making a joke out of it. Like he was just talking about it, which mm-hmm. is a plot point here too. Cause it, points out that as Lenny continued in his career, he just made stand-up, like his stand-up set was just him ranting about being arrested. Mm-hmm. And I think that would have been an interesting direction to take this, where like this, instead of just like focusing on the fact that he overdosed and it may have been a suicide and it was, his drug use was definitely driven on by like the court cases and stuff. Like, focus on like the death of his act because he like at least the way this movie is presenting it he wasn't funny at the end and he wasn't like that's a more interesting angle to take it is that like either he got in his own head so much or like if you want to make it a him versus the man you know he was unable to like continue his art and instead the movie's just like "Ah," and he got some court cases oh and he died i think one thing that might be I don't know if this is, I don't know how to word this. I don't know if it's worth mentioning or not, but I think the whole idea of looking at this movie through cancel culture is interesting because, again, I think I think the whole, re- I mean, I don't have, the weirdly, the Wikipedia page is not detailed on this movie at all for a movie starring Dustin Hoffman directed by Bob Fosse. So I have no real production details for you on this, although I personally know one thing that I will eventually bring up. Um, but I think it's pretty obvious, if you know anything about Bob Fosse, why he would be attractive to the story. Because Bob Fosse, if he was working today, he'd be canceled. You know, like he would not be allowed to continue working on you on Broadway. But he wouldn't be. That's the whole thing. <laughs> what? He wouldn't be. He would be. Yeah. Oh, you know, did you hear about Bob Fosse? And then he could go away for a couple of years and then come back. And it's not. Well, a that's, why I, that's why all that jazz is such an interesting movie. because It is such a like, I, I am the greatest person who ever lived and I'm terrible. Like, and that's why. It works way better for me than Lenny, where it's like, okay, I can see this is a story you want to explore, but like, I don't think this is the conduit for you, especially because, like, you know, it's Bob Fosse. It should be, like, I want to see a musical if it's Bob Fosse. That's what you're good at, right? So, not that this should be a musical, but. Well, I think even beyond, like, some, like, what Fosse saw in the material, it makes sense why this would be a, a, like, an appealing thing in the 70s. Like the seventies were all about the counterculture and pushing against like the system. And that is what Lenny Bruce is like a symbol of like the first time I ever heard him, it, he was like being, it was on some podcast and you know, he was presented as like a martyr for the first amendment, which I guess in part he kind of is, but that's how he's remembered, right? Like he's also, he's a recurring character on marvelous Mrs. Maisel and I haven't finished that show, but you know, he pops him. up to, you know, um, I don't know. I let me look that up because I really do like the actor. I know the actor um, won an Emmy, but I can't think of his name. He every time he pops up, like I'm a big fan of every scene he's in. Luke Kirby. 
Interesting. I don't know him. <laughs> looks like he hasn't done a lot outside of this. What I do want to mention very briefly, and then we can go back to talk about the movie, is the one production detail I know about this is, I don't know exactly how it happened, but initially I believe Fosse wanted to bring back the actor from the stage show because this was a very popular Broadway show that was adapted into a movie. Um, but of course, I've heard Hoffman read the script and wanted to do it, and you don't turn down Dustin Hoffman or like Hoffman got. I don't know exactly how it happened. But what I think is more interesting about this is that in all that jazz, Fosse called up the guy who played him on Broadway. He's like, I'm sorry I couldn't give you in that it, it, the role in Lenny. Do you want to play the role in the scenes of this movie where I will be cutting a movie about Lenny Bruce? And he has he's he's I remember enjoying it. Like I thought the stand-up was funnier and all that jazz. I remember I laughed a couple of times, whereas here I never did. <laughs> I mean, the stand-up's funny in Mrs. Maisel. It's like it's they're able to make Lenny Bruce funny and I'm sure if you know there are probably people who are listening to this who is like Lenny Bruce actually was funny I don't know I haven't listened to his stand-up um so by the way, but like I feel to give him credit by I like f- that's Cliff Gorman who played the role oh, by the way sorry I just want okay. to say that he wanted to um, talk but yeah sorry go on <laughs> but yeah I don't I don't find this movie very funny because I feel like they're always trying to tie the stand-up directly into the into what's happening it's kind of like a seinfeld episode um and it just i don't i think those connections are kind of tenuous i wonder what it would be like on on broadway though because i feel like you can blur the lines between those two mediums a little bit more interestingly if it's all live i remember a couple weeks ago i saw that um a theater i mean skogie was doing a lenny bruce play and i almost went to it because i thought it was what this was based off of then i double checked the website and said a new play by and it was someone I was like well I only have interest in doing this research if it's what I want like what I'm specifically watching I don't need to watch a random Lenny Bruce play um um Bruce I don't know um I think I don't I I think the film as I said the film made me laugh it made me laugh a couple other times on the one I mentioned but it was never because of a joke it was never supposed to be funny when I laughed. I remember at the end where he's like, please, just let me do my act for you, please. I started laughing like, this is dumb. Maybe he actually did that in court, but I was like, this is so stupid. <laughs> and that was always where I ended up laughing. I was like, this is, this is, this guy's crazy. Like, yeah, I, I didn't really, like, it was the big moment where you're supposed to feel bad for him. And I was just kind of like, whatever. <laughs> like, you, you biffed it. Like, too bad. So sad. I did think the one thing he had, I, I think the one bit of stand-up I thought was funny, and I think it's trying to be funny, is when he goes and does the stand-up after he gets arrested the first time. And he's I thought like, that one explicit. was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and, he's like, and he's like, look, I'm, I'm bleeping the word, but I'm be- this is the most sexual act I've ever, like, not sexual, you know what I mean, like, yeah. the sexual set I've ever done. Yeah, which I, is a sentiment I think you hear a lot, um, even, like, today, with, like, people who do the replace, like, they'll replace killed with like unalived and stuff in their tiktoks and stuff yeah. so the algorithm doesn't catch them um and so i think there, i think there is sorry yeah I yeah like, it was the like, corn oppenheimer thing like, that went viral <laughs> i think there is i think there is still some validity to exploring how we like our relationship with language and i definitely think there would have been validity to validity to that in the 70s um whether or not this movie does that well is debatable i think that seems good i think other scenes aren't it's kind of a mixed bag well i think too to give the movie some credit like 
we are like millennial Gen Z cuspers. So I feel like maybe, maybe for our parents, this would be funny. It's just, it's very much the humor is like, you'll never believe what my wife told me the other day, like stuff like that. It's just like, okay. Like, me though, though, can't relate. The wife sets. Like not the I I can't remember who said it once, but I remember once reading this thing. It's like you can always tell like which stand up comedians are like actually good people and not by how they talk about their wives in their set. Or you know what I mean? Like I don't that's I don't remember the exact thing. It wasn't exactly that. And like I think this was around the time like John Mulaney was going through his whole thing while people were like, look at Pat Oswalt talking about his dead like you know the old sets before his wife died. Uh, you know you <laughs> he know does, what I'm saying? He though? does he never talk really, about his dead wife. A lot. He, I understand, but like. Before, like he never really was like my wife's an idiot. He was always the butt of the joke in the stories, you know. Yeah, I I really like Jim Gaffigan and how he talks about his wife and his kids. He's very like he's a good person. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's always a tricky thing when because like you're when you bring other people into a very one sided like description of everything, which is why I don't know the whole this whole Daily Show thing you were talking about. But like, I'm like, is it really that bad if a stand-up comedian just makes stuff up to talk about? Uh, because it's like, you should, you should look into funny. this. Like, <laughs> Sorry, not not this specific situation. Okay, okay. Like I said, I don't know about that. But if I went to if I went to a comedy show and then I found out the next day that like all the anecdotes the comic said were made up, then I wouldn't care um, as long as I laughed. See, my whole, my, the only reason I'm really pushing back on this is because I know you said you haven't read the article, but the thing is, this is what the entire discourse around it is, where the people defending him are people who are like, this is what stand-up comedians should be allowed to do. And I'm just like, read The New Yorker. Read the yeah, Yorker. there's yeah, more but, to like, it. Like, generalize it. Yeah, yeah I get, like, generally, I agree. Generally, I do. Well, I think because if you're an audience member and you're watching something, like, I feel like that's the assumption, is that you're, it's not real. I feel like what you're watching, or what you're listening to is like, Okay, they're just making stuff up and it's funny. There's and you know, obviously in in you know, fiction there's truth. So they're they are pulling things that are even <laughs> even um people who have lied uh, and been exposed, like there's still truth in it. But yeah, I mean I feel like as an audience member you have to be like, okay, well that obviously didn't happen. Yeah, as someone who's not really into Louis C.K., I mean, you can always, like, whenever these things happen, I use him as a, the obvious example, but it's like, I remember, like, when it happened, he would, like, pull back his old stand-up. It's like, look how he talks about, like, like we all looked past this because I'd be like, oh, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But it's like, look at how he's talking about these people. Or, like, how he talked about as I just said earlier, look, yeah. at, look at, like, John Mulaney talking about his wife after everything went down, you know? It's a little weirder to look back on things like that. But also, I don't know. I think the key here also, and I think the movie actually gets this, and this is ties back to the Tom Notch thing. It's okay to make things up if it's funny. If it's not funny, then it's like, why are you wasting my time here? Um, or why, in the case of Tom Notch, like, why are you making this up to like get clout, right? Yeah. yeah. But in the in this movie, like, I think very specifically, we already mentioned, like, at the end, we see his last few sets is just him ranting about the world, or like you said with Dave Chappelle. Granted, Dave Chappelle's other issues too, but like this whole set is just him complaining about being canceled. Okay, great, cool. Who cares? Right. Like it just gives funny. people on platform. It's just people being like, "Yeah, he's canceled," and he's in a sold out stadium. It's like it just gives. It's just people in an echo chamber, basically. And I feel like with the movie with Lenny Bruce, like he wasn't in that echo chamber at all. 
like nobody was well what we've seen i don't know what it was like in real life i'm assuming it he went downhill steadily but like nobody was like yeah yeah he's right when he was just reading his court document oh yeah well and his lawyers were trying to like talk him out of a lot of the stuff he was saying and so you definitely see some of the pushback um i do think it's interesting and like they barely touch on this but near the end when they're doing kind of face-to-face interviews the manager is like i'm glad his albums are selling well again and i wish maybe they had explored that more where it's like how much of the manager's interest in lenny was like him actually caring for him his believing that lenny actually had something to say versus he wants to sell and like where does his support for what lenny was saying stop if like the bottom line isn't being met i think that would have been more interesting than just seeing him in court because like him see, seeing him in court is the same thing every scene is he says something he's not supposed to say to a stuffy judge yeah it really you're just supposed gets to clap give him a little applause everybody clap. he said it he's he said the thing <laughs> i'm gonna say it in this episode get ready to bleep me It'll be when you least expect it. You should give context to that. <laughs> oh, welcome back, Greg. Greg got offended. Greg, because I can't see. No, so. Greg is a snowflake. <laughs> what he says is I'm not going to say it yet. I will say it at some point, but I'm not going to say it. He says, and actually the context is pretty interesting. So he talks about homosexuality, he talks about teachers and now they're, which is also very topical about how teachers are not, um, you know, suitable because they're, they're gay and, you know, kids are, they're teaching kids math and they're not teaching them this lewd act. And then he gets arrested. He got arrested in real life. I don't think he said it. This this is just a nitpick. In real life, I think he says it as a as a noun and not a verb. But it's the same word, which I will say, but not yet. This is so funny. The suspense is killing me. <laughs> I also think that would be an interesting thing to look at him is his relationship. Because like he's he's not he's he wasn't like early says he's portrayed in the movie once again not sure about him in real life he's not like trying to make a grand political statement about social issues in fact he kind of talks about how it's like this is making me money is the fact that we have segregation and uh homophobia and all this stuff his interest is more in like the way we talk about it and i th- like if there is an interesting part of the movie it is that it is kind of the idea of it's like he is he is critiquing more like the underall structure to our conversations than he is actually like the topics of them which is something else i think comedians lose sight of because i hear a lot of comedians compare themselves to lenny bruce and i'm like guys it wasn't about lenny bruce saying x y and z it was his ability to say that what do you guys think about valley brennan's and the wife's role in it. I mean, I thought Unless she you was wanted good. to lead on to saying the word, you can go and say no, the word. I'm not gonna say it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was good. I thought the role was not good. Um, it's a. I mean, that's that was their life. That was he. He he took advantage of her. Uh, 
he did some not so nice things to her. He later admitted to it. I think how it's portrayed in the movie. I get it. It's the 70s. Like you want to be, you know, transgressive and I get it. But I just I don't mind the stripping so much. The sex scenes I was not a fan of. She's good. I think her her strongest stuff is the like current day interviews. I love the bit. I love the bit where they're like, do you want to talk about why you lost your pearl? And she goes, no, I don't. And it's like, oh, right. I love that. That's that like one of my, my favorite bit of the entire family advice. Is her going, no, we're she not, not going to talk about that. Yeah, she has a lot of real moments. And there's another one where like the very like the framing device of the interview is compromised because they admit to like the tape running out of like the machine running out of tape. And so it's this, it's this moment where it calls into question the entire structure of the framing device. And like, so all those interesting layers of how she's acting that are really cool. Um, but yeah, she doesn't get a ton to do in the actual narrative. That's why I was surprised when I was, when I was reading off the nominees, I stopped myself because I was like, she was actress. She was not supporting. Because it what, seems surprising to me. What I noticed that was interesting to me is that if you look at the full list of awards it's had at the New York Film Critics Circle, it seems like they might have voted on actress first because she was nominated for Best Actress, but then she won Supporting Actress, which makes me think there was like probably a bit of contention there too. And it's like, where, where does she belong? They're like, well, we'll give her Supporting instead of just nominating her. I thought that was interesting that she was in both. I don't think I've seen that before for something here. Maybe it was something where like the Globes were first, and so at the Globes, obviously she's going to be lead because that's just how the Globes work. And maybe it just stuck like that. Oh, it also might have been because this she won it. Khan, best mm. actress, and Khan doesn't have supporting or um, lead. It's just actress, so that might have been it too. <sighs> now I'm curious what won Khan this year. I, I always like looking at Khan um, winners. What, 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 um. What? While you look that up, I do just want to say, since we've talked about another biopic really recently, I think this is a really good example of how like biopics like Lady or uh, Lady Sings the Blues are like voyeuristic in how they show their characters suffering, where this is like equally bad, not equally bad things are happening to Lenny Bruce, but same amount of like time is dedicated to his struggles and stuff. But the framing is constantly around him as like the hero and not him as the victim. Except maybe once you get towards the end with his death, but even that's so abrupt. It really is one of those. Um, it feels like, a, as I said, because also all that jazz is this, but it's a lot more because it's about Bob Fosse. So it's obviously a lot more self-effacing. Um, it's very much the great man narrative type of thing. It's like, I don't see what makes him a great man. Uh, nothing interesting one at con, by the way, besides this. Uh, I don't know any of these movies. Werner Herzog got the Grand Prix for one of his earlier films. But beyond that, I'm like, I don't know who these people are. <laughs> it's crazy to think that, like, I mean, we're running into it with, like, Dustin Hoffman and George Lucas and stuff. But just hearing Werner Herzog on our podcast is like, oh, wait, we're really getting into modern film. Star yeah, of I mean, the Mandalorian. De- well, like I, we said De Niro won this year. That's, that's so weird to me. It's like, oh, yeah, Robert De Niro did win super early in his career. Um. But yeah, Bob Harrison Ford. You love him, Bob. I, was, I said Bob Harrison. I don't know who that is. <laughs> is there a biopic about comedians that y'all like? Dolomite is my name. I've already shouted on this podcast. Great movie. Sorry, <laughs> I don't. I yeah. 
How much stand-ups in that? I think it's like the first 40 minutes-ish. Okay. It takes a while for the just movie. remember the filming. Yeah. I don't watch a ton of biopics. I certainly don't watch them about comedians. I, I don't know. Man I don't on the know. Moon as a huge Carrie fan. I have not seen it. But not a big fan like. of Man on the Moon, honestly. I think I think similar to this, it just doesn't necessarily land the live the feeling of like live comedy. But I haven't seen that. I'm opening up the uh the, the letterbox game basically for Lenny to see what comedic biopics there are. And I'm like, I yeah, I, that's the thing is I can't even think of like the only one I could see on here is. that's like high up. That's an actual biopic. That's about a comedian. Also, by the way, 25th hours in like the top 25. <laughs> that's so <laughs> weird. Um, is the only one I've seen of these is Stan and Ollie, which wasn't that good. It was like a third. I like walk hard being here. That makes sense. But that's obviously not biopic. of a comedian. It is a yeah. biopic. Big <laughs> biopic. I don't think there are a lot of comedian biopics. I'm actually kind of surprised that we haven't seen like one made about Richard Pryor yet. I feel like that's something that will happen. Yeah, I feel like when yeah. I think of comedian biopics, like I really only think of Man on the Moon. I see Chaplin listed. I guess that counts. Comedian. I see also the um the National Lampoon guy and Larry Flint. Is Larry Flint actually about a comedian? I don't know. Oh, no, no he was like a He's like Editor. a foreign person, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's the National it's... Lampoon one that had Will Forte in it. That's the only one I can see on here that's actually like, you know. I guess it's easier. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why there are more music biopics than comedians. Like, more musicians are popular and stuff. Um, I guess it's easier to like either fake singing or like get someone who can imitate the singing of a musician than it is get someone who can be a convincing comedian. Well, I also think to the point earlier that none of us think it's funny. I feel like it's a little bit difficult potentially to make a biopic about a comedian because either it's considered, you know, too offensive now, or it's not funny to people now, but it was funny back then. Like it just, you know, like it just might not be engaging. Like this, the comedy here wasn't engaging for us. So it might just be, that it's, you know, comedy is ever evolving. So it might just be difficult to make a movie like that. I feel like that's true. There's got to also be, I feel like the argument might be also in production and producing one is the comedy bias in the Academy when biopics pretty much exist for the Academy Award system or for something like, you know, where it's like a Bob Marley movie. Come listen to Bob Marley for two hours. You know, that's what they, that's their entire sub media. And ergo, if I'm going to use an example of a canceled person, but like James Franco tried to be Tommy Wiseau and get a nomination, but no one treated that movie seriously. Also, his scandal broke in the middle, but I don't think he would have made it anyway. I think the movie was too lowbrow. I think that's a danger, you know, where it, uh, and the idea of these people producing it where they're like, we're trying to get Oscar nominations, but these this is a lowbrow subject. Like Eddie Murphy didn't get in for Dolomite, right? Yeah, yeah. Which I guess it has the good side effect of if one of those gets made then the director and the writer whoever have a clear passion for it like with dolomite and man um, on the moon jim carrey didn't get in right anyway, yeah like and and man on the moon has a very clear vision for why it was made why jim carrey um did it why my, mike nichols directed and i think lenny you can say like um, you said miles lenny, foreman directed definitely... man on the moon. sorry i just had it up sorry oh yeah, yeah. Why, why did i think <laughs> it's okay they're they're, they're, um, they're contemporaries i feel like 
Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then like you said, Bob Fosse. But yeah, I think I think there's a lot of a lot of interesting reasons why you don't get many of these. And I'm personally I'm fine with that because I do not want to see the Dave Chappelle biopic. Well, I don't I, I do think um depending who you have behind it, I think I'd be down for Richard Pryor. If you can find a story there, if you can find a story for um what's it? You can find a, I don't know why I lost George Carlin. Like there are comedians that I would be like, yeah, if you can find an actual story there, do it. I don't want them to be, and I haven't seen my man of the moon to know if it's like that. This, I don't even think Lenny is like this, but I don't want like, you know, the, the respect of these people. I don't want like a musician biopic for a comedian. Right. Yeah. I think Lenny at least plays around with particularly, you know, it's such to me. It's more a Fosse movie than a biop. Like it, it, the editing is so kinetic, um, and it's just watchable in that regard to me. That's like okay. Like I don't mind that we're jumping back and forth from time and we're telling like a whole life thing because it's got this cool style. You know, even comedians I like, like Mitch Hedberg, I don't think like it would just be an imitation of him. Like well, I don't what, think you could actually. That's what every biop is. yeah but i think it'd be a bad imitation like imagine someone trying to do a robin williams impression i I don't need to there was that video that went viral remember oh no no i must have missed this thank god well you're lucky because it was like right after he died someone like did this thing this sketch like as an odd like a joke odd not joke it was like legit like look how good i can do my robin williams impression it was like a scene of him crying before mork and mindy thing like or and it and like Zelda Williams was like, why are you sending this to me? Like, I don't want to see this. Like, get this away. What is that guy been doing? That's not the same guy who did the Harrison Ford stuff. That's a different guy. No, it's a different guy. It's a different guy. Okay. I don't mind Harrison Ford guy because Harrison Ford guy at least was like kind of endorsed by Harrison Ford. No, that's a he was a good Joker in, in Telltale Batman too. That's cool. That's cool. Good game. Should have. <laughs> I, I good uh, comedian. Famous comedian. The Joker. <laughs> I stick by that the only I'm I was this is gonna be way too much of a hero. It's gonna be like, you know what would have been great in Dial of Destiny if instead of doing a DH Harrison Ford, they just got Alden Alden for the opening scene. <laughs> just, just be like you guys He's are gonna get his big break some someday soon. It'll Alden? happen. Yeah. Alden was the crowd pleaser senator aide. It doesn't mean that he had a big who gives the great line <laughs> also, of JFK. <laughs> also, he he gets to he gets to do some stuff in Cocaine Bear. Can't can't he tell you anything about his character. Movie. He was the only person in that movie who seemed like they were trying. <laughs> hey, I have never enjoyed anyone phoning in a performance more than Isaiah Whitlock. Yeah. <laughs> It was pretty. I well, oh wait, wait, wait. I always say this when Cocaine Bear comes out, especially because you mentioned Isaiah Whitlock. How does that movie not have him going shit? Like what? <laughs> you had one job by hiring him in a movie called you. You hired him in a meme movie. You didn't have him do the meme. What? <laughs> How many Oscars will Cocaine Bear be nominated for? Maybe he only does that for projects he respects. <laughs> There should be. I wonder if there's a letterbox list for Isaiah Whitlock. Sheet. They should put a sheet in Lightyear. I feel like I was thinking about this earlier. Like, what 
comedies the academy really like is into it's either like don't look up or it's like the most out of left field actually funny comedy like borat and it's like it's either the the most unfunny thing you've ever seen or it's borat <laughs> that's it yeah well, what about man. uh what's her face melissa mccarthy getting in okay yes that was a good movie that was a good role for her very I mean, funny uh, Wait, to talk about something that would get you canceled no, now. No, for Brian's maid. Okay. Uh, I was about, about to say, because Can, Can You Ever Forgive Me is good, but it's not, not like a straight comedy. What about, uh, also, you know, people always bring it up, RDJ. Comedic role. I, oh, that, <laughs> I get it. I, I'm i not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. I like that Tom movie. Cruise. I like that movie. You should have nominated Tom Cruise for that movie. I like that movie. Both of those, Both of those nominations would be for gimmicks, though. I don't I don't dislike Tropic Thunder, but like you're nominating one actor because he did blackface. You're nominating the other because he like did put on a fat suit. Yeah. Well, I think the I think the argument for Downey, though, is also just that it was the year of Iron Man. So they want to acknowledge him all around returning. And it's like, that's the put Iron Man. Don't give that a lead actor. Nom, you know, um, what was I going to say? Also, well, I think <laughs> this is what I keep also thinking when we talk about, like, you know, Eddie Murphy missing. It's like remember there's a big comment. This is a. I would be racist type of thing where it's like, how can you nominate Mr. Carfee and not Tiffany Haddish for girls trip? You know, that type of thing where it's like, it's the same type of breakout performance in a weak year. Tiffany Haddish is great in girls trip, but whatever it's. What, uh, what comedies recently would you guys give a nomination, whether it's acting or the movie itself? Well, the uh, problem Jay- is comedy. Jamie Lee Curtis in everything everywhere all yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna be very blunt like we've had like this year ryan gosling's getting in like that is a purely comedic role in barbie like it's not gonna be like if america for margot get in that is ryan gosling is only funny in barbie maybe like the is nice that, is that a comedy or is that like just a blockbuster like i get like i'm like a comedy movie like bridesmaid or like something like that well, I think that's though. I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like saying everything everywhere all at once isn't a comedy anymore because it did. It's like an indie success to me. I, I think Barbie is still designed to be a comedy. It's just not, you know. And specifically, what Gosling doing is comedic because, yeah. like, like you said, American Ferrera has her monologue. Um, Margot has Margot a lot Robbie of stuff. has like a lot of scenes to act, like in a more dramatic way. Ryan's just there to make the people laugh. Yeah. Um, what was I going to Stuff that's recent. I'm opening up the Golden Globe nominees for comedy because that's the best way to really narrow this down. Because uh, they will throw in a real comedian once in a while, right? You know, like. Well, now uh, they will. Um, well, you know what I was thinking maybe for this year, even though I wouldn't nominate her, but like in a week year, I would. I would consider J-Law in No Hard Feelings. That was the most I've enjoyed her in a movie for like. Five or six. I'm just saying, like, as like she's contender. not. A, yeah, she's not a comedian, though. I would. Say, I get what you're saying. I would say the kid in that movie would be a really. I think people need to pay, remember him when they do like best newcomers at the end of the year. I think the what kid about, in that like, was really great. What about like Jimmy Tatro or any of the kids in theater camp? Ah, uh, yes, I would give Jimmy Tatro. I would give Noah Galvin. Those two were both fantastic in theater. Camp. I actually, I I don't love that movie, but I thought Noah Galvin was good. Um, Mike. Sorry, go. My go-to, and I don't know, I don't remember what was coming out this year, so this isn't based off of competition or anything, 
but Jesse Plemons in Game Night yes. supporting. And Rachel McAdams. I remember we watched Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret on the um, cruise. And I was talking to my mom beforehand and, she, and my dad, because, you know, they, they have the poster up and it's like says Academy Award winner Kathy Bates. They have the poster up for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret beforehand. And it says Academy Award winner Kathy Bates, Academy Award nominee Rachel McAdams. And my mom and my dad go, both go, Rachel McAdams doesn't have an Oscar? And I go, she should have won for Game Night. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I feel like I feel like she has not had like good enough roles. But my hope is that someday my one of my biggest celebrity crushes, Kate McKinnon, will will get something. Well, how did she not get it for yesterday? <laughs> I was going. I know, sir, you don't want to watch it, but I keep. This is one of my talking points of Barbie. Is I think it's my favorite film performance of hers because well, she actually, actually doesn't play it too broad. <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, I, I'm actually one of those people that like Ghostbusters, and I really like I, mean, I like Ghostbusters. It. I actually don't like her in it, if that makes sense. I like Ghostbusters. Um, I just had one. One that just popped up to me, because I am on the Golden Globe page for comedy. Um, supporting, I would nominate Rose Byrne in Spy. I thought she's really good in Spy. Uh, and then I'm past the last 10 years. And of course, if we count Wes Anderson movies as comedies... And comedic, very particularly, I think Ray Fiennes should have been nominated in 2014. I think he is easily better than half the people nominated. I think he's better than the winner. Uh, wait, who won in 2014? Yeah, Eddie Redmayne. The only person who was nominated that year that should have been nominated was Keaton, in my opinion. Yeah, I'll always go to town for uh, West movies, although they do usually get at least one nomination. Not um, he's never had a performance nominee. One of the main ones. Which is crazy. No, no, which is so bizarre. You you'd think at least Hackman would have gotten one for Tenenbaums, but And uh I I stick by that in a pandemic year, there is no reason Jeffrey Wright shouldn't have been nominated everywhere for that movie. Like Yeah. So good. Um I'm just quickly opening up the actor page to see if you think any part of that with Wes Anderson movies is it's just too many people and like so it's like uh, I feel like French Dispatch, I, you obviously nominate right, but like Astro City, the acting I branch doesn't like it. The acting branch might just not be into as much as the rest, because I just look at I don't see how Ray Fiend's missing for Grand Budapest makes no sense for the amount of love that movie got. Like, yeah. that is really because like, that movie got, I don't know, like 10, 12 nominations. It's like you don't nominate him, the face of, the, like, he's so good in it. Um, I am opening up one more. Also, I mean, I guess I get it because he was up against Keaton and Birdman, but it's like he didn't even win the Globe. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh, I saw one here. Deadpool. That's funny. Uh, I also forget that Kula was nominated in comedy. Forget. Uh, okay, this is the last one I'll say. It's a little controversial because it's Sam Rockwell playing a Nazi. I think his performance in which Jojo Rabbit which, is which by role? Far, which movie? <laughs> I just said in Jojo Rabbit, it's by far his best of his 2017 onward run. I, I think his performance in Jojo Rabbit is both legitimately funny and touching. And maybe it's a little sympathetic to Nazis. I'm not getting into that whole discourse. I went through it all pre-pandemic. We're not going through it again. But I I, I do posit Sam Rockwell. I do posit. <laughs> It's a good performance. I will always rag on him for the amount of racist people he plays, but a good one. <laughs> I guess I guess I guess technically Banshees of Inishirin's a comedy, but like uh, yeah, I don't count. And again, we'll, that, we'll everyone got nominated for that. Eventually. Everyone got nominated. You can't be, you can't complain about it. 
Um, And that's like the last 10 years. There is one that was nominated that I will argue should win. But I will save that and put it in my back pocket for a year from now when we will eventually cover it on Snub Club. Right on. Yeah. But uh, should we? I think we talked about. Do we have anything else to talk about with Lenny? One more. Okay. There's an original. There's an original song, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't nominated. And Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which is absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) Plenty of songs I think should have been nominated. (laughs) Yes, I know. Yeah, but specifically, it's it's one that Jamie Jamie uh, Dornan sings, and it is like it's it's a big snub if it was overlooked, which I'm pretty sure it was. It was. Now, now, now you mentioned song. I have to open up the last few years of the blankies, the oh Danny's version of the blankies, just to see, <laughs> just to see what I what I gave because uh, I always have comedic songs up for it. You know what would Lenny think? What? What would Lenny think? He he might say a certain word that's eleven letters. I might say it too. Oh, what? Maybe. Well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> there are no cops here, so you can say. <laughs> oh, because I reupdated them. Uh, well, I'll just look at last year's songs. I'm sure there's a comedic one I nominated. Uh, sorry, guys. You brought it up. Caleb, you opened a bad can of worms. I regret it already. Oh, here's a comedic performance that should have been nominated. Sarah will agree with me. Javier Bardem, Lyle Lyle Crocodile. <laughs> I don't know if he should have been nominated per se, but he did eat that up. He did slay. He was great. <laughs> He was fantastic. I wanted to, based on that one image, I wanted to like that movie so much more than I actually did. But he, he lives up to the hype. He does. That's true. Uh, I'm not going to bother looking at the A hype only I've heard you talk about. <laughs> I will say. I did nominate, though, the, the song you're talking about from Barbara and Star at the Blink. Just saying. Like movies that I think we can all agree, like a movie or two. Okay, I've got one. I've got one. Because he was not, he was nominated for a BAFTA, but Hugh Grant in Paddington Two, comedic yeah, performance, still. great performance, definitely deserved a nom. I love how Hugh Grant has just been taking weirder and weirder roles over time. Like him in Dungeons and Dragons this year was so much fun. I think there are a lot of good comedic roles. I think that more comedies nominated, but I don't think we should have a comedy category. I think we should nominate more comedies. I'm looking at 2020, then I'm going to be done looking for my old ones because 2020, you know, was a weak year. So I assume maybe there might be a comedy. Well, yeah. Uh, oh, if we had. Well, what was nominated in song that was a good nominee was Husavik from Eurovision. Not a great movie, but good nomination. Sorry. We should get. I like that. That was a good comedic song to nominate. Yeah. If we had a. If we had. Uh, uh, like a whole category for it. It would just go to like Banshees of Inisherin, or this year would go like to Barbie. You know, like this year, yeah. Like- if there's like an obvious pick, then yes. But like usually, it would go to like a comedy that has another genre pushing forward. I will say this: I do see that at the blankies, I nominated Caitlin Dever for Booksmart, which I think is a good performance, but also kind of plays around in that area where it's like it's a little serious at points. 
I don't know if I don't. I was trying to think if I would nominate anyone from Bottoms this year, but I'm like, I, I can't think of anyone from Bottoms who's a real standout to me. Well, that's fine. The Academy will not nominate Bottoms for anything. So never will the Globes. That's just because the Globes. We should just nominate Jeffrey Wright for every Wise movie going forward. Love that. Show. By we, I mean me. He's a good actor. Knock on wood. Hopefully, I will his long overdue nominations here. All right. You guys remember we have, when we watched? We definitely Lenny. have exhausted Lenny. There. <laughs> <laughs> what was Lenny nominated for? Yeah, it was nominated for best picture, best director for Bob Fosse, best actor for Dustin Hoffman, best actress for Valerie Perrine. Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Cinematography. I mean, it's one of those ones where you might disagree for placement, but I think Varley Perrin is the obvious choice, and I'll go with her. I think she's very good in this movie. There's a lot of nuance to sometimes underwritten role. I found her very captivating. Ah, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, sure. We'll do that. Tempted to give it cinematography, but I think I'll make it a consensus and give uh, her the nom, the win, just one. Spyway. The win. Yes. I know we, so. we all. I know we always say now. Don't worry about what you're taking away from. But I do love Alice Doesn't Live Here. Great movie. More people should see it. It's an underseen Scorsese. Connected to American Graffiti because uh, edited by um, Marcy Lucas. Yeah, their name Marcy Lucas. Something yeah. like that. Just before Thelma. Was allowed to work. I have a story for that, save for um, I'm gonna give this best editing. I think this is a well constructed movie and is uh, you know, doing kind of a hyper cutting thing that we have not seen before. Um, and yeah, um, I'll give a best supporting actress for Jan Minor. She reminded me of Fran. <laughs> You know who she reminded me of? And it might be just because I texted someone about it earlier, but I also had this thought and I couldn't place the name. But she reminded me of Catherine Hunter and Andor, who plays the white supremacist mom. Um, very fun role. Didn't Look, see it. Sarah, she basically is a Star Wars mom who goes, eat your cereal and get a job. It's a great role. Didn't see <laughs> it. Great... <laughs> if it doesn't have uh, Anakin in it, I don't want to watch. <laughs> Sorry, I won't, I won't say it. Um, I gotta give it to the editing. The editing is, as I said, it's kind of like a Damien Chazelle movie to me. And I don't mean that. I think Bob Fosse is a. I like Bob Fosse from what I've seen more than Damien Chazelle. But what I mean by that is, I'm pretty much always gonna like a Damien Chazelle movie at a base level because of the editing style his movies have. Likewise, Bob Fosse, um, his work with um, Alan Heim is i mean there's a reason i know a lot of editors say that all that jazz is the greatest edited film of all time i'm really curious to see cabaret because it's not edited by alan heim um and i'm curious if it has the same style or if it's just what he brought to his collaborations with bossy but it's very very well edited also by the way just to bring it up i checked you know the week alan heim has such an interesting career post bossy because he becomes just like somewhat like someone's for hire. He also edited Dennis the Menace, American History X, Pluto Nash, um, The Last Mimsy, 
And his last film was I Saw the Light, which was the musician biopic with Tom Hiddleston. So, oh, and The Notebook. That's what I actually wanted to mention. Like, he, had a, he has a very weird career. Uh, Hank Williams was the mu- musician for I Saw the Light. Tom Hiddleston in the news. For what? Because people Is are it? talking about Taylor Swift's uh, Taylor a fake like, relationship. Yeah, that's why I saw it. Uh, but yeah. All right, you guys want to know what we're doing next time? Sure. A big deal. The 40th Academy Award. We are about to crack a seal on a genre of film that will weirdly take a hold on this podcast in and out for the rest of its run. I would say we get one of these like every eight or nine movies from now on. Now, you might be a little worried about the ominousness of this, but I will say, in 1975, with five nominations and no wins, Herbert Ross's Funny Lady, the sequel to Funny Girl. This is the first sequel we will cover, and we're going to, as I said, this is the genre that we'll keep coming back to is sequels. There are a lot of sequels on the list of the Snub Club. Because a lot of movies are well-liked, and the sequel gets a lot of nominations because it's a sequel, but then the movie isn't actually that great. I don't know what Funny Funny Lady has a 3 out of 5 average on Letterboxd. is a movie that a lot of people don't know exists, because why did they make a sequel to Funny Girl when there isn't a Broadway show sequel? But this is Funny Lady. I'm telling you right now, I'm not watching the first one. So we're just going to see what happens. It's really funny. Longtime listeners of the podcast might remember, I don't, I think it was maybe during Star. I was like, I recently watched Funny Girl for reasons that might become clear down the road. <laughs> and this is the reason why. Because I did want to have that background knowledge. And we'll have a guest. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. We always knock on wood when we say that. Oh, we this is what guest. we're bringing her on for. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Funny well, lady. <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I was messaging her about it. And I was like, man. I sure hope the movie's better than the movie we were going to bring her on for star. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't have a high hopes. I think this will be interesting to talk about. I will say the interesting thing to me is, um, well, Barbara Streisand and Omar Sharif are back, but the new character is played by a young James Caan. So I like James Caan. But I also, yeah, I'm a little, a little pessimistic about the sequel to Funny Girl. <laughs> I'm getting Vincent. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Blank Mints. You can also listen to my other show, Looking for the Ocean and Pixar Journey, which is currently on hiatus. But hey, this was we talked about the spinoff of Toy Story on this, so you got a little fix. Your Pixar talk here. Call back to the very beginning of the show. If you don't believe me, rewind your episode all the way back to the beginning. You'll hear that I cracked that joke as soon as I did my opening thing. So. I'm sure they remember it fondly. Hey guys, I'm Caleb. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. From there, you can find my litany of other podcasts: Hot Trash Unlimited, Star Wars Therapy, and All New Fifty Two, which I do with our editor Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thank Thanks, you, Joe. Um, when is this episode? Favorite stand-up comedian. <laughs> He's not going to answer. Actually, I will answer, Sarah. Thank you very much. Um, I actually hate stand-up comedy, so I don't have an answer. But within that answer was an answer or within that lack of an answer was an answer when does this episode come out uh okay uh you can find me at letterbox uh s-g-k-e-s-s-g-e-k-a-y 
Uh, also Instagram, SGK29. Uh, I'm doing a thing called October 31 horror movies directed by women in October. Uh, also on Tumblr. Also on Instagram. Somebody all. Somebody already told me to kill myself on Instagram. So you can follow me and be the second one. Uh, <laughs> you can find us, The Snub Club, on Facebook, The Snub Club, Instagram, Snub Club Podcast, and Twitter, Snub Club Pod. All right. We'll see you next time for Funny Lady. See y'all cocksuckers later. <laughs> <laughs>